Welcome to today's St. Paul's Church of the Voyager podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Fiesler, and I am glad that you are listening today. We dive into the sermon and text for today that instead of greeting by the back door after the service, I'm going to be out on the patio. Uh, so some of you don't have to delay in terms of getting your cup of coffee. And, uh, and then you might also want to join me after, about 10 minutes after, uh, for our second cup sermon discussion uh, that is following every uh, message uh, every Sunday. In Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus teaches his followers how to bring their lives into alignment with the kingdom of God. And at one point, when he invites his followers to depend fully on God and to not worry about tomorrow, what tomorrow might bring, Jesus refers to King Solomon saying, And why do you worry about what you will wear? Consider the lilies of the field. They neither labor nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was adorned like one of these. The Solomon Jesus is referring to was, as Todd mentioned, the second son of King David and Bathsheba. We heard some of their story last week. Well, David did have other sons with other wives. First Kings chapters 1 through 3 share how Solomon became king of Israel following the death of his father. It's a tale of intrigue not unlike Game of Thrones. So if you haven't read those three chapters, you might want to take a little time and do that. Now, during the threshold moment, we heard from 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 4 through 9, a story that tells us how near the onset of his reign, and, and when given the chance to ask God for anything that he wants, Solomon humbly requests a discerning mind so that he might rule justly over God's people. Now, that uh, request in and of itself makes it clear that, that Solomon already has some wisdom. He is wise enough to know that there is much that he does not know. Would that all of us were a bit more self-aware especially when it comes to living wisely in God's world. 1 Kings 3, 10 through 15, then goes on to uh, tell us about God's response to Solomon's request, and I'll read that for you. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this, and God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. 
Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare to you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. Then Solomon awoke. It had been a dream. He came to Jerusalem where he stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. He offered up burnt offerings and offerings of well-being and provided a feast for all of his servants. Now almost immediately after this, and to illustrate how God had granted Solomon wisdom, 1 Kings 3, 16 through 28, tell us that Solomon is presented with a thorny problem. Two women, both prostitutes, bring a dispute before Solomon. These women lived in the same house and had given birth to sons three days apart. During the night, one of them had accidentally and tragically smothered her own child. Perhaps out of her mind with grief, she switches her child with the living one while the other mother is asleep. These women want Solomon to declare one of them the rightful mother of the living son. How can Solomon rightly discern which of these women is telling him the truth? Let's not miss the high stakes that are in play here. The fact that both of these women bore male children is an important detail in this story. These sons are not just children. They represent a potential future for both of these women in a time and in a culture where men have value and women do not. One of the many tragic elements of prostitution is that it has a limited run. As these women age, they'll likely make less and less in a profession that they probably did not have a choice about entering in the first place. Having a son could provide legal and economic stability for each of these women in the future. So this heightens the stakes when one of their sons dies. It's the potential loss of a secure future. I think knowing that deepens our appreciation for what's going on in this story. Solomon's solution is to have a sword brought before him 
ordering that the baby be divided in two, half for each of the women. Let's hope that it was just a ploy to ferret out the truth. I mean, I, I, that's the typical interpretation, right? And, that interpret and the interpretation, which I think many of us grew up with, was uh, it, it esteemed Solomon's shrewd method of arriving at the truth. But I think we might pause and just keep in mind the trauma of this perilous moment for these women and whoever it was that thought they were going to have to carry out the king's order. Indeed, the real mother does relent, asking Solomon to give the child to the other woman. Thus, she reveals herself as the mother. And Solomon restores her child to her. Now, as we look at this story, I want to lift up a preliminary observation. It is interesting that Solomon's wisdom is disclosed with this particular story about two women, single mothers, prostitutes. Why would the king of all the land deal with this dispute at all? Perhaps this reveals at least one aspect of Solomon's wisdom. That his high status does not keep him from dealing with those people who find themselves at the edges of society. By including this vignette, the story suggests that a truly wise person not to mention a wise and just ruler will attend to the humanity and the rights of those who others consider of no importance. Those who others would simply spurn. Indeed, a wise and just ruler will look out for those who can do nothing for them in return. This certainly prefigures Jesus, doesn't it? But what begins so well with Solomon does not end nearly so well. According to the, the verses we heard this morning, and in addition to wisdom, God grants Solomon both Riches and honor, which will ultimately lead to his downfall. Towards the end of his reign, Solomon becomes an authoritarian ruler, a dictator, abusing the rights of his people and subject to every religious fashion. He truly wants to please whatever God for that day needs to be pleased. In fact, he becomes very much like the Pharaoh from whom the Hebrews had escaped a few generations earlier. 
As we read further into 1 Kings chapters 4 through 11, we learn that Solomon taxed his people heavily to provide for the needs of his opulent court. And that he forcibly conscripted his own people to serve as his labor force. While Solomon does build a temple for God in Jerusalem, 1 Kings 7 tells us that he built for himself a palace that was twice the size of that temple. And worst of all, at least in the eyes of the Old Testament, Solomon turns his back on Yahweh, the God of Israel, who granted him wisdom and riches and honor in the first place. A comment in one of my Bibles strikes me as worth pondering for all of us. Could it be that, not, that even God cannot give some individuals sufficient wisdom to handle success. Perhaps it is simply the case that humans are less able to receive and employ divine wisdom when power and success get in the way. I mean, it's almost too easy to come up with examples of this, right? I just flick on my Yahoo homepage and read, you know, who's in the news that day. This year, I invited the men of our monthly breakfast to read a daily devotional called Grace Notes by Philip Yancey. I know that a few women also picked that up. And this week, there was a reading on Solomon and commenting on Solomon, Yancey writes this. Oscar Wilde might provide the best epitaph for Solomon. In this world, there are only two tragedies. One is getting what one wants, and the other is getting it. As Solomon got whatever he wanted, gradually he depended less on God and more on the props around him. He had the world's largest harem, a house twice the size of the temple, an army full of chariots, and a booming economy. But Solomon's success, as Yancey observes, may have eliminated any crises of disappointment with God, but it also seemed to eliminate Solomon's desire for God at all. The more he enjoyed the world's good gifts, the less he thought about the giver. What a far cry from the way that, that Solomon began. Wise as some scriptures acclaim Solomon to have been. His failures remind us that being a human being with a high net worth is not a primary example or a guide to true wisdom. Forbes' list of the wealthiest hundred people is not going to be a helpful guide for finding people who will help us to live wisely. Indeed, when Jesus referred to Solomon in all of his glory, it seems likely 
that it was an implicit, if not explicit, criticism of Solomon's narcissistic extravagances. Especially when we recall how Jesus again and again invites us to live for others rather than for ourselves. So in contrast to Solomon stands Jesus. As Colossians 2.3 affirms, it is Christ Jesus in whom are hidden all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Apostle Paul is telling us that if we, like, like Solomon had initially asked, if we want to have an understanding mind to live in alignment with God's purposes, we have to orient ourselves, our lives, our needs, our wants, our decisions, all of it towards Jesus. And as we do this, we will find in His ways a more than sufficient resource for living wisely. Being able to discern what is good from what is bad. That seems to be a great need in our time and culture. The need to be able to discern what is good from what is bad. As we close uh, today, I want to share with you uh, a, a prayer written by St. Thomas Aquinas. If you want to have a copy of the, the prayer, I print up copies of the sermon and you can pick it up on your way out. But let's be together in prayer. Give to us, O Lord, steadfast hearts, which no unworthy thought can drag downward, Unconquered hearts, which no tribulations can wear out. Upright hearts, which no unworthy purpose may tempt aside. Bestow on us also, O Lord our God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and a faithfulness that may finally embrace you fully. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.